Folks, it is, uh, it is a pleasure to be with you tonight. Uh, for those of you with a, a good memory, I preached here in about 2006, August 2006, uh, but to save my fragile ego tonight, I'll not ask you what I preached about. I couldn't even tell you what I preached about, to be honest, but I was here once upon a time uh, back in the day. Folks, it's a privilege to be with you tonight. We're, we're talking about being on the margins, uh, and the passage that I have been given uh, comes from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 23, uh, verses 39 to 43. The thief on the cross, uh, a wonderful story, a wonderful passage, uh, as a man in the final moments of his life comes to know Christ as his Savior. So if you've got your Bible there, look it up with me if you would, uh, Luke 23. Uh, I'm so used to giving out the page number, but my page number tonight, I'm sure, will not help you. Uh, so look it up in your own wee Bibles there, uh, and this is the Word of God. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at Jesus and said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him and said, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly. For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. We thank God for it. I'm sure many of us could uh, act in that story and, and read it off by heart. Uh, but may the Lord speak powerfully to us tonight as we get into it once more. Folks, it is a privilege to be with you. As you've heard, my name is Scott Woodburn. Uh, maybe from my accent, you've figured out I am not from Ballinahinch. Uh, I always like to make that clear. I made it clear at the wedding when this place was surrounded with tractors as well. I have no love for tractors. Uh, I'm not from Ballinahinch. Uh, I'm from Belfast and, and across the river there uh, in East Belfast. This year, this past year, was my 20th anniversary as a Christian. I'm 24, no, I'm not 24, I'm 40 now. 40 years old and 20 years a saved man. And if you'd have met me 20 odd years ago, probably I would have been on a list of one of those guys that was in and out of your church, one of your, those youth group sort of guys, one of those guys that would turn up the odd time at the BB, one of those guys in and out, but probably far down the list of people that you ever thought was going to be saved. I wouldn't have taken offense at that. I, in those days, had little to no time for the gospel. But 20 years ago, went to my bed, climbing into bed one night, and I was struck just with this overwhelming sense, Scott, this is the night that you need to be saved. This is the moment that you need to come to faith. And that was the night I turned to Christ and was saved from my sin. 20 years ago, last November. I still meet people today, particularly teachers, uh, who remember me from those days, and they say, well, Scott, how are you doing? I've retired now. What are you up to? And I say, well, I'm a Presbyterian minister, and they think I'm winding them up. They, they just don't believe it. I did a funeral not so long ago of a husband of a lady who was a teacher in my old school, and there in the funeral up in the balcony was a row of former teachers, and you could see them. They're all, you couldn't believe it. They're all looking at each other. Is that, is that your man? Is that him? And it was me. And they all saw me at the door, and all were astounded at what had happened to me. But that's the gospel, isn't it? 
The gospel is preached, and, and boys like me who have no time for it, boys like me who are far down the list of people who will ever be reached by it, boys like me end up believing it and are transformed by it, and their lives go on an altogether different route than ever they could have dreamed of. That's the gospel. That's what happens. And we hope tonight, indeed, in our gallery, that that is what will happen here in our midst, that some of you who have yet to come to know Christ and have maybe been dragged along here because your, your lady friend has brought you or because maybe there's the promise of buns or something. I don't know if there is, but maybe that's what brought you. Maybe you're here tonight for a multitude of reasons and the gospel isn't one. Well, I pray that this evening would be this evening that you're climbing into your wee bed and you know it's time to do business with the Lord. And 20 years saved, it was, it was unlikely but I look back on it and I thank God for his saving grace in my life. A few years ago, I got to go to preach in Bangor, and it's a privilege to come to the Crescent, but folks, we know Bangor's like. Bangor's very posh. It's a privilege to preach in Bangor. <laughs> I went to Bangor to preach, and I've never been asked back, interestingly, but <laughs> I went to preach one night and preached my wee heart out, and this man, who I knew straight away, came up to me afterwards, and he was the reverend he is. And he had been my minister when I was a wee lad in Bloomfield Congregational Church in Bloomfield Avenue across the city there. And the Reverend Hayes had come out that night at the request of my Auntie Sally. She told him that Scott was saved, Scott was going to be a minister, and he was preaching in Bangor. And Mr. Hayes came out to hear me preach, and he was so warm and so encouraged, uh, and he built me up and was delighted that I'd come to Christ, because when I sat under him, I couldn't care less. And it was such a refreshing night to talk to him. And he told me something that night that still to this day could make me weep if I think about it. He said, Scott, do you know your grandfather prayed for your salvation every single night? And you know, folks, that knocked me off my feet. Because here's why. Number one, I didn't know my grandfather was a Christian. In our family, none of us were Christians. And if Granda was a Christian, well, we didn't really talk about it. Being a Christian was something, you know, a God bother or a Bible basher, one of those people. And certainly in our house, that wasn't terribly important. And number two, when I was a wee lad, I didn't want to be near my granda. Didn't want to go down the street to granda's house. It was boring down there. He had a black and white TV. And years later, when he began to be gripped by Alzheimer's, it was a wee bit embarrassing. And I didn't want to be anywhere near him. And here's our family minister telling me years later, Scott, your grandfather knew Christ. And your grandfather prayed for your salvation every single night. Folks, I was rebuked by that. And I rejoice in it because as badly as I treated my grandfather when he was on earth, one day through faith in Christ I will see him again. I long for that day and I look forward to that day because my grandfather's prayers were answered by the Lord ten years after my grandfather's death. Folks, that's the gospel. It saves unlikely boys like me and it saves us not necessarily on the nights or the moments that we want people to be saved. Maybe you've been involved in meetings like that before. You've been at missions or, or big gospel rallies. And, and somebody says, well, was anybody saved? Did anybody come to Christ? And we say, no, no, not this time. And our hearts break because we want to see it, don't we? We want this town to be transformed, don't we? And, and yet we don't see days like we used to see. And our hearts break. But I am a, a shining example of how the gospel works. It redeems those on the fringes on an unlikely way and an unlikely time in response to prayers that are 15, 20 years old. And folks, it is my hope tonight that by the time I head back to Balnehinch, you will be still praying for me as, as my grandfather did. 
but also you leave this place skipping down the road because you will have been encouraged this evening. That is my big goal. When I read this story, this, this wonderful passage about the thief on the cross, all I can be is encouraged. See, when we come to this man, we, we don't know very much about him. The Bible doesn't tell us his name. The Bible doesn't tell us where he was from. The Bible doesn't tell us if uh, he had a wife or family who missed him. The Bible doesn't tell us if his mother was weeping somewhere at her wayward son who, who was ending his life on a Roman cross. The Bible doesn't tell us any of that. The information it gives us about him is, is slim. Luke calls him a criminal or a malefactor. Matthew and Mark call him a robber or a thief. Now, we don't know who he robbed, we don't know what he stole, but we know this guy ultimately was getting what he deserved. He tells us that himself in this passage in Luke 23. We know very little about him, and then as well, we do know something. The other gospel accounts tell us that on this day that he goes to his death with Christ in the middle, one thief on one side, one thief on the other, at some point in that day, this man rails at Christ. He mocks and scorns Jesus. In Matthew 27 and verse 44, we read that the robbers, these two men, one on the right and one on the left, who were crucified with Jesus, reviled him in the same way. What same way? Well, the Scriptures tell us there were many going past and they were calling out, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he has said, I am the Son of God. And at some point on that great and wonderful day that means so much to us as the church of Jesus Christ, at some point, this unknown thief said similar things to Jesus. Mark tells us the same in Mark 15 and 27. Those who were crucified with Jesus also reviled him. And yet, this unknown character who gets just a few verses in God's Word, this nameless individual, at some point in that day, calls out onto onto Jesus. And this time, not with scorn, not with derision, not reviling the Lord, but instead he, he calls out to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you read the gospel accounts and you, you pull it all together and you think to yourself, how can such things be? How can such a man on the margins of society going to his death in the most wicked and cruel way of the world at that time, how can at some point this day he come to know Christ as his Savior? And friends, as we look at the gospels, as we work our way through Luke's passage here in Luke 23, I think we see the answer. And I share these things with you tonight for your encouragement because at times we will come from families and we will have husbands and wives and children and grandchildren who we look at them and we adore them and we want them to be saved. And yet at times we think, how's it going to be? How will my wayward son ever come back to the Lord? And maybe once upon a time he sat in pews in this church. Maybe long ago he, he perhaps made a profession and yet for some reason now he wants nothing to do with the Lord. Will you come to church with me this weekend, son? No, not this weekend, mum. And you break your heart because you wonder, how how can anyone get through to him? Or ladies, how many of you, and, and ladies, I'm picking on you, but in my experience, it's often this way. Ladies, how many of you tonight will go home to, to the man in your life and he doesn't care what you heard about in church tonight? He has no interest in the gospel. Religion is your thing. His thing's the golf or the rugby or the football. 
And again, ladies, your heart breaks for him, and you think, how can I ever get through to such a man? How does this work? Friends, the gospel does that work. And the Holy Spirit does that work. And amazing things happen when the Lord moves, and people that are so unlikely come to know Christ. I know it. Many of you know it. If you stood here tonight and gave your story, no doubt your story would resemble mine. You were a sinner going your own way. You didn't want Christ, and then suddenly, bang, your eyes were opened. Friends, take heart tonight. If your husband doesn't believe, or if your son is wayward, or if your Sunday school class don't listen, or if your grandchildren have no interest, take heart tonight, because the gospel of Jesus Christ has lost none of its power, and if I can be saved, and if this individual in the pages of Luke's gospel can be saved, then anyone can be saved. We don't know his name. We don't know where he's from. We don't know his family. We know that he raised against Christ, but we, we do know a few other things as well. We know at that day the Lord Jesus preached to the crowd who were following him on his way to his death. Earlier in Luke's gospel in verse 28, Jesus turns to this crowd of weeping and wailing women and he says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And here the Lord preaches. Simon of Cyrene has already been given his cross. The Lord is carrying the weight of our sin upon his shoulders, exhausted and beaten and battered and bruised. And yet he turns and he preaches to these women. And what does he say to them? He says, a greater judgment is coming. And he was pointing them forward to the time that in about 40 years, the Romans would come and they would stick the boot into Jerusalem. They would destroy the temple utterly and blood would be running down the streets. And Jesus was saying, if you think this is bad, what they're doing to me while the wood is green, guess what they're going to do when the wood is dry? Or in other words, Jesus was saying to them, be ready, sisters, daughters of Jerusalem. Judgment is coming and be ready for it. And so if the daughters of Jerusalem heard it that day, then I think it's reasonable to assume that the two men with their own crosses to carry to Calvary heard it too. The thief on the cross, I suspect, heard this sermon. But not only that, later on, Jesus prays. In Luke 23 and verse 34, Jesus, of course, is is being utterly humiliated. They're mocking him, laughing at him, scorning him, about to put him on a cross. And what does he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine being that thief? You've heard the Lord preaching, and now you hear him praying, and then you take turns at laughing at him and scorning him and mocking him. And we see that in Luke's gospel as well. The people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at Jesus, and they said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription over Jesus which said, this is the king of the Jews. And what did Jesus say? Nothing. Like a silent lamb going to the slaughter, Jesus did not answer a word. The same Jesus who could have called a legion of angels to silence his enemy 
The same Jesus who from a breath from his mouth could have done away with every single one of them. The same Jesus who could have tore them to shreds with his knowledge of every single one of them. What does he say in front of all this scorn and mockery and laughter? Not a word. And so here is this unlikely candidate for salvation. This unknown thief. And like I said, we know little about him, but probably that day he hears a sermon from Jesus about the coming judgment. He hears a prayer of Jesus, which is not, Father, do away with these individuals, but instead it is, Father, forgive them. And he sees the silence of Jesus in the face of man's brutal hostility to the Lamb of God. He sees grace, and he sees mercy, and he sees peace. He sees the gospel played out before him. I was such a man saved. He came to see Jesus. See, friends, I find this desperately encouraging. A few years ago, a friend of mine who was finishing his studies just up the street here uh, at Queen's was on his way to class, and he was walking uh, through the front gate up there at Queen's University. And there was a, an elderly gentleman handing out tracts. Normally I might refer to him as an lad, but in case it was one of your bunch handing out tracts, he was a man of vintage years, you know. So he's up there handing out tracts, and, and my friend sort of realized nobody's paying any attention to this fella, so, so I'm a believer. I'm going to go over, and I'm going to take one of his tracts. And he went over, took a tract from this elderly gentleman, uh, and the man said, Are you saved, son? And my friend turned around. He could have, if you know my friend, this response shouldn't surprise you. could have just said, I am, thank you, sir. But he turned around and he said, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And he said he thought the eye lad would smile, but instead he, he became quite emotional and he almost started to cry. And my friend went over and started talking to him and they encouraged one another and he discovered that the old man's tears had come because my friend was the first person that day who, to his knowledge, had any interest in the Lord. The first person that day who had met who was, who was saved, and the first person really that day who had taken a tract uh, and had come to encourage him. He said, I've watched boys and women going up this street. They take a tract and they throw it down. Others don't want to know. Others will call me names. And this elderly gentleman of vintage years was just so deeply encouraged. Here was this one believer who had come to meet with him. Friends, I want you to be encouraged in a world like that. I want you to be encouraged when, when maybe you go into an office tomorrow surrounded by individuals who, who are like that, to think you're a wee bit odd, a wee bit backward. And what is it to say? You're on the wrong side of history and, and they laugh at you and mock you and think, you know, you're just so with the dinosaurs of another age. But even in the face of a hostile world who seems to care little for the things of God, brothers and sisters, be encouraged. This thief sees Christ in all his glory and all his fullness. He hears the word of God preached. And eventually this dying thief comes to know Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit is at work that day. The Holy Spirit is the one who, who brings this thief from a point where he calls Jesus' names to a point where he calls on Jesus. And we can be confident tonight, not just in the gospel, but in the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, don't we often approach evangelism as if it's all about us? 
It's all about how we do it. It's about my ability to speak. It's about my ability to convince and cajole. It's about bringing people along to services like this, and we'll play the right music, and we'll hand out the right books, and we'll answer all their questions. It's all on us. And yet, when we read a passage like this, we realize not a bit of it. How does this dying thief come to Jesus? He comes because the Spirit leads him to Jesus. The Spirit softens his hard heart. The Spirit silences his abusive tongue. And the Spirit brings him to a point where he sees Jesus and thinks, I need him. And it is the same today. The Spirit has lost none of his power, just as the gospel has lost none of its power. The Lord Jesus in John 16 tells us about the Spirit. He says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And the Lord makes it clear when when the Spirit comes, He will operate this convicting ministry. He will bring unlikely sinners to salvation in Christ. And remember your own testimony, my brothers and sisters. Remember that night 40-odd years ago when you went home and you asked your mother, could you speak to her? And you said, Mom, I I need to talk to you. I think I need to be saved. How did that happen? Do you remember that? Or you came and you were dragged along to a mission in this church and and you just couldn't understand it, but, but he was talking to you, wasn't he? And before you knew it, the tears were tripping your face. How did that happen? How can these things be? Friends, it is the Spirit. He operates this convicting ministry. And in the life of of this nameless thief, it is the Spirit who brings him to that point. And it is Jesus again in John 6 who makes it clear, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Doesn't that fire us up to do evangelism? to share the great gospel of Christ crucified and Him raised from the dead? Doesn't it excite us to to once again engage with those wayward children and to share the gospel with those friends that somewhere in the depths of our hearts we've written off as beyond the reach of God's grace? Doesn't it excite you that, that here is the Holy Spirit who as we proclaim the gospel, He is at work in ways that we cannot see and we do not understand, but He is doing it because Jesus promises He is doing it? Friends, this delights me because my grandfather's prayers for me were answered, but I still am in a wee family of a mother and a father and a brother, four of us, and only I am saved tonight. And many's a time and many's a night I think, my dad just doesn't care, my brother is not interested, my mother seems just so hard. I wonder, will they ever come to know Christ? And I read a passage like this. And I realize that no matter the barriers that my mother or father might seem to put up, no matter how hard it seems that my brother is to the things of God, the Spirit does not recognize their barriers or their boundaries. No one is off limits to the working of the Holy Spirit of God, and certainly not this nameless thief at Calvary that day years ago. And so it is the Holy Spirit who, who after taking the preached word of Jesus and the example of Jesus, and he transforms this thief on the cross. And so when it comes to hurling insults at Jesus again, his tongue is stopped. We read in Luke's gospel, one of the criminals in verse 39 who was hanged with Jesus railed at him, blasphemed Jesus. And they said, are you not the Christ? 
save yourself and us. As I've said, at some point in the day, the other thief would have joined in. But not now. Not at this point. At this point, instead of rebuking Jesus, he rebukes his fellow criminal. He says, Do you not fear God, in verse 40, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly? You see what's happened to him? He's not hanging on the cross at this point, declaring his innocence. He's not trying to convince the world that he didn't do it, that he's an innocent man. He he should be let go. The Romans have made a mistake. None of that. He says, we are getting what we deserve up here. You're running your mouth off, and yet we deserve this. We are getting the due reward of our deeds. And look how the Spirit has transformed this man. But this man, this Jesus, he has done nothing wrong. I marvel at these words. I marvel at this transformation. This arrogant, proud, spite-hate-filled criminal mocking and laughing at Jesus and then suddenly says, no, 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 no. This man, this Jesus, he's, he's done nothing wrong. I'm the guilty one. I'm the one that deserves this, but he has done nothing wrong. Do you not fear God? And here is this unlikely man from the margins, and suddenly by the working of the Word and Spirit, he has been brought in to the kingdom of God. And it still works like this, my friends. Sometimes we may not see it. Sometimes we, we may doubt it, but still the Lord works. Still he builds his kingdom. Still he calls on sinners to repent. And this particular sinner came to repent. He turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? This man has has come to know Christ. He has been born of the Spirit. And we know the famous passage in John 3 when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he doesn't get this whole being born again stuff. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. My brothers and sisters, we perhaps do not see how the Spirit works. And we perhaps put people in a box that says, out of bounds for the gospel, but the wind, the Spirit, blows where He wishes. Isn't that the delight? And I long for the day that my phone will ring and my mother's not ringing me to shout at me because I don't come down to see her enough. And she's not ringing to say to me, you know, can we come up and see the kids for a wee moment or two? Because you never bring them down. I long for the night she rings me and she doesn't say any of that, but she rings me and she says, Scott, come and see us because me and your dad are saved. Imagine a night like that. And even as I say it and preach it, I think, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But the Spirit blows where He wishes to blow. And I long for the day that the gospel hits home in my own family and brings them to their knees. Friends, a few years ago, I did have an experience like that. My sister-in-law phoned and she had been saved. My brother's wife. And I remember saying to my wife, we do hear this. We hear this for an old Presbyterian preacher. I remember saying to my wife, 
I'll give it a few weeks. Give it a few weeks. If you knew my sister-in-law, you might agree with me. But do you know what? About eight years later, going on with the Lord. There's me thinking, I know. You're saved, I know. I'll give it a couple of weeks. May the Lord forgive me. He does what he wishes. And as his word goes forward, unlikely marginal kind of people are brought into the middle. They are brought to the man in the middle who they realize he has done nothing wrong. And they are brought to a place where instead of hurling abuse at Jesus, they hurl out a cry of faith to Jesus, remember me. And there is this simple and beautiful cry of this repentant sinner, remember me. Remember me, Jesus. Remember me. As I was praying this morning with some folk up in my own church, uh, an elderly man of God prayed, and he reminded me that even when our faith is weak, even when we are barely clinging on to Jesus, faith clings to him, but he clings to us with hands that will never slip and never let us go. And this dying thief, I wonder if he had his doubts. I wonder if he thought Jesus might say, no chance, no way. And yet he cries out, Jesus, remember me. He takes hold of Christ, and Christ takes hold of him. And Jesus responds to this faith-filled cry and says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amazing. Amazing. And what would you and I have done? Maybe reminded him of all the things he had said and reminded him that, well, you know, don't see a church enough and all those barriers that sometimes we put in the way of people and yet here he is, he's got nothing else, he's hanging on a cross. Jesus, remember me. And Jesus says, paradise. I tell you the truth, today with me, paradise. Oh, brothers and sisters, we, we long for cries like that, don't we? We long to hear that more and more in our churches and in our lives and in our families. Remember me, Jesus. Remember me. The one who calls out to Jesus, remember me, is the one who will never be forgotten by the same Christ. When your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, he does not take a rubber to it or a pencil to rub you out. Remember me. And Jesus says, I will. I will. And yet even as we hear this, What about those people you know? What about those who tonight you know are deep in sin? Those individuals whose hearts have been hardened for years. How can they be saved? Well, friends, as we look at the movement of this thief from the margins to the middle with Jesus and this cry of remember me, we see the pattern that still is the same way we evangelize to this very day. You see, as men and women of faith, I hope, I pray, I trust that we are unashamed of this gospel. We are unashamed of the truth that Christ died for sinners such as us. Tonight we have sung about God's grace. You've you've heard it mentioned in this sermon. We know that it is only by grace that we have come to be saved. We know that the gospel proclaims not us, but Christ. We know that it is all of Christ and Him crucified. We proclaim it. We, We preach it. We are unashamed of it because we know As the apostle says in Romans chapter 1, we know that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
How can all of those individuals who you know and who you love be saved when we proclaim the gospel, when we share with them their need of Christ, when we are unashamed and unembarrassed about it, when we stand in front of them and put our own opinions aside and our our own reputations and we say, I need to speak to you about Jesus. I need to be straight with you. I need to tell you about Christ. The gospel. That's how marginal people are brought to the man in the middle in repentance and faith. We preach Christ and Him crucified. But friends, as we do that, we also know the need for persistent prayer. We also know that the success or failure of evangelism is not on us. I do not think I would be a preacher if I believed that, that this was about my talents and my abilities. If I was convinced that up here was all about me, then the weight of that, I think, would be too heavy to carry. You see, I know that it's not all about me up here. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said that every step he climbed into the pulpit, and that's a mighty big pulpit up there. I hope you don't do away with that. I'd love to come back and get up into that. There's about 30 steps up there. But Spurgeon said that every step into his pulpit, he reminded himself, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I find myself climbing into my own pulpit, telling myself the same thing. And some days I wish there were more steps in the pulpit. Because some days you get up in there and you feel utterly unprepared. And you feel like that's the worst sermon I've ever preached. And yet that's the day someone sees you at the door and says, Oh, you're a breath of fresh air. You think, well, I I don't think I was. But what do you do in those moments? You remind yourself, this is a work of God, a supernatural work where the gospel is preached, where the people of God pray, and the Spirit of God taps individuals on the shoulder and says, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Friends, never doubt that. If your son doesn't listen to your endless proclamation of Jesus. It's not your fault. Pray on. Trust on. Know that the gospel is still powerful and mighty to save. Know that the blood of Christ still can wash away his every sin. Be faithful and pray and pray and pray that the Lord would work. Do you know I am so thankful for this church in a way that I've only just realized in this past year? When I was at Stuart and Chloe's wedding, I'm delighted to see them here tonight. They're like a couple of wee newly married groupies following me about. I hope everything's still going all right. Stuart's head's in his hands at the minute. I'll talk to him afterwards. But when I was here at their wedding, a man approached me outside, and he says, oh, you're from East Belfast. Do you know a lady? She's gone now, but she was called Minnie Ross. I said, I do. She lived beside us, 39 Hollycroft Avenue. Apparently, Minnie Ross was once upon a time a a member of the Crescent. We tortured many Ross. My brother and I were a pair of ignoramuses. The noise from us next door, the wee mini. The football, she asked us not to rattle the football and would rattle it against our windows. We were monsters. And when Minnie Ross was on her way to glory, my mother was in and out seeing her and checking she was all right. And Minnie Ross used to tell my mother, I'm praying for you, Linda. I'm praying for you. That meant nothing to me then. And Minnie's gone to glory, I think, about 20-odd years ago. But as I stand in her church tonight, I don't know where she used to sit. 
I don't know if she's remembered. But here's this wee woman of faith that prayed for the ignoramuses next door. And one of them, anyway, has come to know Christ. Friends, don't be ashamed of the gospel. And don't be ashamed of preaching Christ and Him crucified. And understand the endless necessity of prayer. And finally, understand that the Lord's Word never returns to Him void. Not once, ever. Tells us that in Isaiah 55 and verse 11. His Word will accomplish the thing for which He has purposed. The Lord's Word does not return void. I know a story about that. Years ago, a man called Luke Short heard, as a young boy, a sermon on 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Luke Short got in a boat to America, forgot all about the sermon and all about England, and he was sitting on his land one day in America, looking out over his big farm, feeling very happy for himself, but realized, I don't know Christ. And I am accursed, and I don't want to be accursed. And there's Luke Short, 85 years after hearing that sermon, now a man of 103 years old, And he comes to Jesus in a field in America thousands of miles away from his home in England. It was written on his gravestone. Luke Short, converted to Christ at 103, 85 years after hearing a sermon. A babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106. Friends, you may not be around to see the unlikely margin people coming to Christ. You may not be around to see your son return to Jesus or your husband to bend the knee, but the Lord's Word does not return void. The gospel is not a powerless thing in this day and age, and the Holy Spirit still brings nameless criminals and sinners and refugees to a place where they realize that Christ can only only be good for them and their soul. So be encouraged, my brothers and sisters, in your evangelism in these days. And let me finish by saying this. Before you skip away down the Lisburn Road or Sandy Road or wherever it is you're from, I made a promise to myself a long, long time ago that whenever I would stand and preach to people, I would not leave the pulpit without calling on some to trust in Jesus. And I know tonight I have very much been preaching to the choir, preaching to the converted, urging you on to be passionate in your evangelism for the sake of the lost on the margins. But let me finish by talking simply to you, to you who does not know Jesus. And you need to know him, and you know you need to know him. This night's a a wonderful opportunity for you. And you, you might think it's random that the boy with a beard from Ballon Hinch came to the Crescent, but there's nothing random about this night. I'm meant to be here as you're meant to be here. And I preach to you your need of Jesus. If you do not know Christ tonight, then my friends, there may not be another night. If you are on the margins tonight and you know it and think that Christ cannot forgive you, For all those things that you have done, let me assure you, He knows all of those things. Repent of them, put your faith in Him, and be saved. Can Jesus save you? Even you? 
on the margins of the crescent? Even you, all who call upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. And tonight, may the Holy Spirit write that truth on your heart. Friends, thank you for having me down tonight. It is a privilege to come to Belfast, uh, and I pray nothing but the best for this church. As you get the walls painted, uh, and God willing, those wee seats up there are filled with the lost from this district. God bless you all.